Do you want more joy this year? Do you want more joy in 2015? Do you want more confidence this year? Do you want more hope this year? If so, then what you need is a Fudini. The Fudini is a 3D printer that will actually print food out for you, real food that you can cook and eat. So you can have the joy of food in 2015 if you just get a Fudini. It makes things like spaghetti, ravioli, pizza, prints it out, you can eat it. Maybe that doesn't crank your tractor this morning, though. Maybe you need something different. Maybe what you need is blueprints, cold-pressed cashew coffee. Yeah. It's got vanilla. It's got cinnamon. I love cinnamon. And chili. I love cinnamon and chili. Love cinnamon. It's got 300 calories. It's got 7 grams of protein. has 130 milligrams of coffee. So, I mean, I'm sorry, of caffeine in the coffee. So you can grab that on the go in the morning, and you can have joyful energy every morning with cold-pressed cashew coffee. Or maybe coffee is not your cup of tea. You'll get it after lunch. It's all right. <laughs> maybe you need something different. Maybe what you need is a spiritual gangster brand yoga sweatshirt. This sweatshirt is designed with the high, vibrant energy that you need, the joyful energy you need to accomplish all those 2015 resolutions. Or maybe you need something with a little more power. How about the 2015 Ford Mustang? With its EcoBoost engine, it's a perfect combination of power and efficiency to give you joy on every curve. I missed my calling, right? Or maybe food and coffee and sweatshirts and cars just don't cut it for you. Maybe you need an Apple Watch, or you need Microsoft 10, or you need a Makita brushless jigsaw, or maybe you need a Milwaukee cordless whole hog. Maybe you need a Nike Vapor Speed driver or a Cobra Fly Z driver, or maybe you need a hook all-weather fishing bib, or maybe you need a bench-made Grizzly Creek hunting knife. Now, why am I plugging randomly all these random products? Because these are the products that are already being promoted as the must-have things that you need for 2015. And all of these products come with either a bold or a subliminal message that says, get this and you will have the joy of being happier or healthier or handier, or lowering your handicap. All of these things give such a promise. But maybe you're thinking, I don't really need a product for joy this year. No, maybe your thought process is more that, you know, you need to lose 10 pounds, you know. Or maybe you need a, a better job, or maybe you need to make better grades, or maybe you need a better marriage, or more, more responsible children, or maybe you need your health to improve. Those are all good things. Those are really good things. And you know, some of those products are things that you might buy and you might find they're really helpful for your life. 
But none of those things and none of those products can give you real, lasting joy. You see, true joy cannot be found in just saying Happy New Year to one another. A true joy cannot be found in having just your best life now. True joy cannot be found just in smiling or laughing or hugging. You see, you can't get true joy at the gym. You can't get true joy from a 3D printer. And you can't drive true joy around the block. See, true joy, it's, it's deep. It's lasting. It's, it's satisfying. True joy doesn't require the promise of a new year because true joy is available every morning, all day, every day of the year, every year that exists. There's no time that true joy is not available. I don't know about you, that, that sounds like good stuff to me. So, so where can I find this true joy? How can I get this true, deep, lasting joy? Well, there's one guy who told us how we can find it. And we're going to listen to him for a few moments this morning. Look with me at John 3, verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. Do you want to have more joy this year? Do you want to have more confidence? Do you want to have more hope? If so, then write those seven words on your heart. Tattoo those seven words on your brain. He must increase, I must decrease. So who's the he and who's the I in this scene? Well, let's back up a few verses and find out. Look at verse 26. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified Behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. Now, the John here is not John, the author of the Gospel of John. This is John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus. He was created, and he was chosen, and he was ordained to specifically be the campaign manager for the Messiah. He was the one who was supposed to be the opening act for the Messiah. The phrase, Udaman, started with John the Baptist. That's where it originated. He was the man. He was the guy. This is what Jesus said about him. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. That's pretty good for a resume, right? Underneath references, the Son of God said, I'm the greatest human that's ever been born on earth. I think that would at least get him an interview, right? It's good stuff. You see, John the Baptist was not just some televangelist who had an international following of people. John the Baptist was God's man. God created him. He chose him to specifically and uniquely and practically prepare the way for the Messiah. And so some guys from John's church come to John and they say, John... Jesus started a church down the river. And there's more people going to Jesus' church than are coming to our church. So a little bit of envy, a little bit of jealousy going on here around John's crowd. Envy and jealousy sound like they're the same thing, but there is a little bit of a difference. Brian Bell does a great job of breaking these down. He says, envy begins with empty hands mourning for what it doesn't. 
So envy is, I want something, but I don't have it, but I, I want it. Jealousy, he says, begins with full hands, but is threatened by the loss of its plenty. It's the pain of losing what I have to someone else. So jealousy says, this is what I got, and I don't want anybody else to have it. And I do not want to give it away. It's, it's mine. He goes on to say this. Envy is when a peer is promoted. A newcomer passes you on the way up the corporate ladder. When you're a senior sitting on the bench and a sophomore is in the starting lineup. When a new business starts up and overshadows yours overnight. Somebody has something and, and you don't have it, but you, you want it. He continues with jealousy. Jealousy is when loyalties shift, when close friends abandon us for others, when retirement comes and our authority is handed to a replacement. So with those thoughts in mind, can you find any envy or jealousy that's swimming around in your heart this morning? Look back over the last 12 months with this thought of, I want something and I don't have it, or I've got something and I don't want anybody to have it. Anybody had any moments like that in the last 12 months? Has envy or, or jealousy swept into your mind and heart at home, at work, at school, at church? Well, how does John handle this? How does John respond to this envy, this jealousy? How does he respond to them going, hey, more people are going to Jesus' church? I love what John says. Look at verses 27 and 28. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given from him from heaven you yourselves are my witnesses that I said I am not the Christ but I have been sent ahead of him John's first response is, is staggering John says everything that I have I got from God my life came from God my existence came from God my family came from God my skills came from God. My talents came from God. My locusts, my honey, my cool camel clothing, all of this came from God. My wilderness church came from God. John was very clear about what he had. Apostle Paul made a similar declaration to the church at Corinth. He said this, what do you have that you did not receive? Let that one sink for a second. What do you have that you did not receive? Guess what? You didn't create yourself. You didn't give yourself any of your skills or abilities. If you're great with math, it's not because of you. If you're great with money, it's not because of you. It's because God created in you a mind and a heart and a desire to honor him in some way, shape, or form, or to have an ability, or to have a skill, or to have a talent. It comes from God. Paul says, why do you, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Paul was constantly trying to turn the, the hearts of the people in the church away from themselves and away from glorifying their church work and away from glorifying their church talents. He was constantly trying to get them to turn their hearts to Jesus, to turn their attention and their focus to Jesus because he knew that Jesus was the one they needed most. And he wanted his followers to see that his church was not his church. 
See, Paul told the church, hey, guys, this isn't your church. It's actually Jesus' church. And what you have came from Jesus. And John was doing the same thing 30 years earlier. Same message. John was saying, look, guys, this isn't our church. It's not my church, and it's not your church. It's, it's God's church, kind of period, at the end of the sentence. This, this really is God's church. He makes it even more clear by reminding them of what he said from the very beginning. I'm not the Christ. John says, look, I'm not the one. I'm not the guy. The attention wasn't supposed to be on me to begin with. This has always been about the Messiah. This has always been about the Christ. This has always been about Jesus. See, throughout John's life, he had one thing. He kept pointing to Jesus. He kept pointing to Jesus. Everything went to Jesus. So when John hears from his friends, hey, Jesus' church is growing, John says, great, because that was always the plan. The plan was always to move people to Jesus. But then he gives them an even more clear image. Look at verse 29. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. In ancient times, the wedding planner was not this you know, superhuman, very talented woman who you would hire to come make your perfect day perfect. It's not how it worked. In ancient times, the wedding planner was the best man. He had to do it all. He was in charge of all these preparations leading up to the final joining together of the man and the wife. And so when the groom is standing before the bride and, and there comes the moment, so to speak, where he says, I do, the best man is thrilled. He goes, finally, I am so tired. This was so much work. I'm exhausted. I'm so glad this is over. No, <laughs> that's not the idea. It says that he rejoiced. See, he rejoiced because what he had been doing with excitement was planning things for this couple to come together. He was handing off this wonderful gift of marriage and life to this couple together. So he rejoiced. Holy matrimony was about to be finalized, and, and he had the opportunity to enjoy this new adventure that this couple was about to set out on. And he knew that all God's grace and mercy and love would be behind them. So, no, this was, this was exciting for him. He loved to hear the groom say, I do. Because it was his time to be in the relationship. I love what David Guzik says about John the Baptist. John the Baptist lost his congregation, and he was happy about it. John was happy because he lost his congregation to Jesus. How about us, Holland Avenue? Are we more like John's followers or more like John? Is this our church? Or would we be happy to lose our church to Jesus? Now notice, I'm not saying lose our church to another church. <laughs> I'm not saying everybody leave and go to another church. That's, that's not what I mean. I'm talking about losing the church to Jesus. 
This is how John says it, right? He must increase and I must decrease. But that's the picture here of, of losing the church. The, the bridegroom got the bride and the best man said, yes, that's how it should be. John lost his church and he lost his church to Jesus and he was happy. It was good news because it was always the plan. He must increase, I must decrease. What, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, it looks something like this. When you begin to think of the next 12 months for your marriage, when you begin to think of the next 12 months for your home and your kids, the next 12 months for work or for school, for life here at church, he must increase and I must decrease, it means something like this. It means that your opinion. And your way of doing things. Your demands, sinful and selfish in your marriage. Your selfish demands on your children. Your committee or your ministry area or your musical preference or your clothing preference or your expectation of the staff or your expectation of the church members. Your favorite sports team, your hobbies, your wants, my wants, those are supposed to decrease. And he is supposed to increase. See, the primary and most important increase that ever needs to happen in your home, in your job, in this church, and in this world is the increase of Jesus Christ because only the increase of Jesus Christ brings happiness. There is no other place to be happy but to be happy in Jesus. So to decrease means that we do not fight to get our way. To decrease means that we do all we can to make much of Jesus. John says he must increase and I must decrease. So can we commit to that goal? Can we commit to that goal in our marriage? Can we commit to that goal at work, at school, with our kids, with our grandkids? Can we commit to this idea of, of decreasing and letting Christ increase in the church? I mean, it won't be hard to see if we do, right? I mean, all we have to do is start looking at our lives, right? Let's just take the church. And over the course of the year, at church conferences and at committee meetings and at you know, staff meetings, at, at ministry projects, you know, with, with all that we do in our, in our prayer request, in our conflicts, in our, our health fears, we'll all be able to see whether he's increasing or, or he's decreasing. You see, it's not really hard for us to see as, as we look at us, the people of Holland Avenue Baptist Church, are we letting Jesus increase? Is he coming out of our mouth and our attitude and our thoughts and our desires, or is he decreasing? It really won't be hard to see if we are going to make a big deal out of us and our ways or are we going to make a big deal out of Jesus and his way and his truth and his life. It won't be hard to see. John was pretty clear and our life with Christ can be pretty clear. And we're not talking about perfection. We're never going to do everything right, but, but can it just kind of basically be seen in our lives that we're making much of Jesus? Don't miss these two words that he uses. He says... He must increase, and I must decrease. There's, there's not another option. It wasn't a maybe. The only option is that Jesus has to increase. 
If we put that in the life of the church, if Jesus doesn't increase, then we are nothing more than a country club. We're paying dues, we're electing officers, and we're expecting benefits for the money that we pay. If Jesus doesn't increase, that's, that's all we become. If Jesus doesn't increase, we become a, an extremely friendly group of people that are extremely friendly for our glory instead of for the glory of God. If Jesus doesn't increase. In other words, we can function without Jesus. And we can even look like a great church without Jesus. But actually, if he's decreasing, we're just going through the motions. But if he's increasing, if he's increasing, we will discover a happiness and a joy that, that we really can't even imagine. If I were to boil all this down into one word, the greatest man in the history of the world, the one born above all according to Jesus, was a man full of humility. Humility is a word that means that you're low enough to understand that everything you have this morning, okay, just go ahead and filter it through your minds. Your house, your cars, your family, whatever's in the bank, whatever is not in the bank, uh, you know, all of the things that you have right now, you have because of God. And everything you've ever had before, you've had because of God. And everything you will have in the future, you will have because of God's grace and God's mercy and God's kindness and God's compassion. So humility acknowledges that. Humility says, I acknowledge that God is the top. And I acknowledge that I'm dependent on him. Stephen Cole says this about humility. If I'm growing in humility, Christ is increasing and I'm decreasing. If I'm growing in pride, self is increasing and Christ is decreasing. Our little logo kind of has a little purpose behind it. The increase and the decrease. If you'll notice, the arrow that's going down is underneath the S for self. Self needs to decrease. And the arrow going up is over the sea for Christ. Christ must increase. So, so just a little visual reminder that one of the two is going to be happening. And those arrows can flip around in our lives. They don't need to, but they can. See, self needs to decrease and Christ needs to increase. So let's just go 12 months. Last 12 months, if, if we're honest with our hearts, which one's done what? Has self increased or has Christ increased? Has pride increased or has humility increased? And maybe a more challenging question for all of us is, what do we want for this year? For the next 12 months, which one do we want to increase? Do we want pride to increase? Do we want self to increase? Or do we want humility to increase? Do we want Christ to increase. The reality is every day we stand at the crossroads of finding out what's going to increase in our life today. Is it going to be pride or is it going to be humility? One has no good outcome. The other is full of grace and mercy and joy. Maybe you made a resolution this year to eat healthier. If so, that's good. Got a little healthy quote here from somebody. Swallowing pride is good for you. It won't give you calories or indigestion. Very true statement. Something you can bank on. In the real estate world, what is the mantra? Location, location, location. Augustine said, when it comes to the Christian life, when it comes to the foundation of what we do as Christians, that the mantra is humility, humility, humility. Being low, 
and understanding who God is. It's the key to functioning. John adds a huge exclamation point to his humility in his statements here. Look at verse 31. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. The church with the highest attendance and the most beautiful sanctuary and the most wonderful Sunday school space and the most modern bathrooms, that church will one day cease to exist. The most popular preacher or pastor or evangelist or most devoted church member will one day die. Thanks for the great news, Dal. Thanks. Appreciate it. But I give that picture to say this, that's why we don't worship the church. That's why we don't worship the church buildings and the church leaders and the church programs and the church members. And we don't worship the traditional traditions and we don't worship the contemporary traditions. We worship Jesus because Jesus is above all. You can't get greater. You can't get stronger. You can't get more wonderful than Jesus. So we put our attention, we put our focus, we put our worship on Jesus and only on Jesus. J.C. Ross says this, we can never have too high thoughts about Christ. We can never love him too much. We can never trust him too implicitly. We can never lay too much weight upon him or speak too highly in his praise. He is worthy of all the honor that we can give him. He will be all in heaven. So let us see to it that he is all in our hearts on earth. Let us see to it that Jesus is all. But why? If we were to ask a little bit of a selfish question, hey, what's in it for me? Why should I make Jesus all. Why should Jesus increase in my life? What, what would I get out of it? Well, I purposely have left out one part of our reading today. You may have noticed that I left it out, but I, I want to bring it back into the conversation now for this time, for this moment. But I want to keep it in the picture of what we've already read. So jump back up to verse 26. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you've testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bridegroom is the bride, who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. And here's the verse I left out. So, this joy of mine has been made full. I love this. John says, I am so happy. I am so full of joy. Deep joy, satisfying joy, real joy, joy that lasts a lifetime. Why? Because he was giving away everything he had. He was arguably the most popular preacher on the planet. And Jesus shows up down the river and John says, great. It all needs to go to him because if it goes to him, then I will have joy. Joy. Why? Well, see, John knew that he was just a voice. See, I'm just 
a voice. You are just a voice. But John says, now I'm the best man, and I've heard the voice. I've heard the voice of the bridegroom. And John says, that voice is greater than mine, and that voice is stronger than mine. See, John knew that that voice would rumble the heart of an arrogant Christian. That voice will rumble the heart of an arrogant Christian and let that arrogant Christian see the liar and the thief that they really are. And then that voice will say to the heart of that arrogant Christian, come back to the foot of the cross and see the grace that you've been given. And that voice would change that heart. See, John knew that that voice was the voice that would rustle the heart of an unconverted, unregenerate, unsaved sinner and show that heart how utterly hopeless they are, how they have absolutely nothing without the cross. And then that voice would tell that unsaved sinner that there's a different story that they can have. That voice would speak life and love into the heart of that unsaved sinner and let that unsaved sinner know that there is grace beyond their imagination that will come in repentance and faith. And that voice, that voice pulls the heart of the discouraged Christian, pulls that heart away from the stress-filled despair And that voice retells the story to the discouraged Christian heart all over again. You once were lost, but now you're found. And that voice says you once were blind, but now you see. And that voice says you are now a child of the king and nothing can snatch you out of his hands. And John says that's the voice. It's not my voice, John says. He says, that's the voice. That's the voice that you need. That's the voice that I need. And my joy is full and satisfied because I have now heard the voice. And my heart is full of joy and my heart is satisfied because now I know that everybody else will also now hear the voice of Jesus. His joy was deep. His joy was real because he heard the voice, the only voice that we need. Do you want more joy this year? Want more joy in 2015? Do you want more confidence in 2015? Do you want more hope in 2015? Then my advice for us is to listen to the advice of the greatest man who ever lived on earth. And he said, that we must decrease and that Jesus must increase. John says if we're going to have joy, the joy we want, then we must decrease and Jesus must increase. And if that will happen, then our hearts will actually really be satisfied. Man, let's fight for that kind of joy this year, and for the rest of our lives. Let's pray.